here today with Andy Schick, who is the Global Director of Automation and Analytics at Xero. Welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So, Andy, you've gone from an organization that's sales-led, primarily using exact target for your email marketing, and you're now deploying some real heavy-hitting marketing automation technology. What was your starting point? Yeah, well, I think the, the starting point um, really was led from the top of the organization, um, realizing that um, Zero is an incredibly quickly scaling business um, and, um, <clears throat> and had done the last 10 years of, of scale being dri you know, driving with sales teams and sales forces out there and to, to, um, to hit the accelerator again meant needing a lot of marketing automation. Uh, and doing you know, a lot of the heavy hift lifting before the sales call took place or instead of a sales call, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what have you been able to do now that you couldn't do before? Well, I think um, a lot of identification of uh, hyper-targeting of the, of the right person and being able to really narrow in on the right customer at the right time and also increasingly um, a diverse set of channels as well. So we're really enjoying with Marketo the ability to um, engage with a person at different times of the day um, through different channels as well. So, you know, all the integrations and including um, the double click network through through Google and also Facebook is, is enormous for us. Yeah, for sure. And so where are you at now with personalization? Oh, every, almost everything is, is right. personalized. We don't, <clears throat> I mean, we, we still have a, a blog program uh, which goes on to the website, but increasingly we're working on um, even, even the areas which is usually write and blast. Um, we're becoming far more regionalized there. So we've um, just started regionalizing um, all of our blog digest type things for uh, different types of customers who are in different regions. And just this year, bringing on the Asian market, really working with, um, with that team to figure out exactly what their customers are needing and what channels they need to operate with. So, so in terms of your blog, are you saying that you're now sort of dynamically serving a different blog to a different region or a different a, a different content topic to to a person with different different tastes? Yeah, and yeah. that's um, that's both through through um, through the website channel and also through our email content. Yeah. As well. Yeah, great. So, what have been some of the biggest challenges in terms of getting this whole automation thing in progress? I think um, the balance between integrating the way that you want to have it integrated, you know, your, your, your beautiful ut utopia of all of your data platforms working really well, and the need to just speed, um, to, to execute with speed. So um, marketing, people who drive marketing automation programs are usually not the people who have big waterfall projects that take a year. We're, you know, by very nature, we want something yesterday. Mm. And if we can't have it yesterday, we bloody well want it tomorrow. Yeah. And, um, and that has, that balance has been um, a point of, I think, tension yeah. um, that we've, I think we're largely getting it right. We have, we've sacrificed, I think, um, future integrations um, for speed right now. And then we are, as a, as a company, we are exceptionally good at rebuilding the plane's engine while we're flying it. Yeah. Uh, and that has become the norm, it's become expected practice and everyone is okay with that. Yeah, great. Um, so what would be some advice that you would give to a CMO who's starting out on their real heavy hitting automation journey? 
Um, as much as possible, get your data architecture in place um, before you implement, if you're able to. And if you're not able to, go for it anyway, and then figure out how to re-plumb the databases, yeah. um, how to go from um, scheduled script pools into live connections mm -hmm. and, uh, and get okay with that because you're constantly replumbing the engines anyway. You may as well start right at the beginning and just go for it. Yeah. So is that a real part of that process moving forwards, that it's really adapting on the fly? Yeah, and I imagine it will, uh, we're probably, um, you know, we're a year into this journey and we're doing a lot of replumbing um, still at the moment, but it's been well worth it when we've done thought experience, experiments of where we would have been if we had done all of this perfectly from begin from yep. the beginning. We are further ahead now than if we had done things properly. Really? And we've got all of the benefits of doing the automation, all of the learnings, yeah. uh, probably a few more grey hairs. Yeah, right. But it's been an absolutely wild ride and we've yep. got we've got real numbers to to prove prove that as well. I expect that you would have been you've been able to scale much more quickly through the implementing this quickly as well, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the number of um, the number of leads and opportunities and contacts that we're touching um, has certainly skyrocketed, but also broadened as well because we're able to identify um, the types of customers who haven't ordinarily been getting our comms, really building specific comms just for them. So mm. our, um, the um, the percentage of reach across our, across our customer base has been broadened because we've been able to identify a whole lot more. I mean, we've got a very complex business. It's, um, and we've got 750,000 small business customers as well. So it's, um, and it's a complex sale. It's accountancy packaging, it, um, a, a, an accountant experience online. So it's not like, um, it's just, it's just a, a quick widget that you pop up. You're yeah. integrating banks and you're yes. integrating um, your chart of accounts and your, in many cases, your payroll and a whole lot of other things that are the very core of your business. So um, getting to that size and accelerating even harder now uh, would have been impossible without automation. Wow, that's, that's really interesting to hear. And lastly, can I just ask, how has this changed your team and your team structure? We are... There's one of the big conversations happening at the moment, not just at Zero, but I think across the industry too. There is a very strong push towards data-driven, data-driven, data-driven. Whereas at Zero, we uh, we talk about human-centric, data-driven, yeah. and so we have the teams that I have um, reporting into me are we have an analytics team, and they are they are hardcore. Um, data wizards I mean, they are they are exceptional at what they do yeah. um, and then we have the marketing automation technologists and they've got a real understanding of what you're able to do with the technology and can paint um, you know, and, and should be able to be in a position where they can paint any um, artistic rendition of a customer's experience that they want to with the tools and with the data but Probably most importantly, we've still got these teams that are dedicated to understanding the customer life cycle, their life journey with us, um, and understanding what needs to be said, what information needs to be given, what are those key moments in a customer's journey, and really speaking to that. And because we have such a beautiful product where it's, it's that balance between a beautiful engagement with our product and with our company and with our brand, as well as making sure all the data points line up and, and prove that it's working. Yeah. But data is more about proving what we're doing is working, 
identifying opportunities for further engagement. Um, but you know, really it's still about that human interaction at the end of the day. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I've been speaking to Andy Schick from Zero, and we've been delighted to have him. Thank you. So I'm speaking today with Scott Brinker, who is the Editor-in-Chief at Chief Martech. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so um, tell us, what are some of the parallels between software and uh, software development and marketing? And what are the implications of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think traditionally, if you'd imagined uh, a career spectrum, marketers would have been on one end, software developers are on a completely opposite end. So yeah, like how all of a sudden are they now intertwining? How are yeah. these professions coming together? I think the simple version is, right, marketing is increasingly responsible for customer experience through a whole bunch of channels that either are directly digital or powered behind the scenes by digital technologies. Mm. Everything digital is operated by software, run by software. And so marketers have almost accidentally, as a result of going where the customer is, going where the prospect is, into this digital world, they now find themselves crafting customer experiences that at the end of the day are really about crafting the software that makes that happen. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So can you give us some examples of how sort of agile um, management practices have moved over from sort of software into marketing? Yeah, I mean, certainly agile started in software for the reason that, you know, large software projects, if they would take a year or two years, by the time you got to the end of the project, things had changed, yeah, right. right? So that's where Agile came from was, okay, well, can we build software in a more iterative way? Can we build mm. it to evolve as needs evolve? Mm. And that applies so directly in marketing today, right? It, it used to be that we could have that sort of rigid version of the marketing plan and we could yep. see out for a year ahead. Yeah. Today, we certainly have the ability to have some strategy and some vision for the year ahead, mm. but the actual execution, the operations, the ability to experiment and respond to feedback from the audience, that's something that you need to have that agile, iterative capability yes. as a part of marketing. Are, are we really saying that nowadays, um, you know, uh, uh, we can't be a modern marketer without being a technologist? I'm always careful to disclaim that I don't think everyone in marketing needs to be a technologist. Right. Just as frankly, not everyone in marketing needs to be a brilliant graphic designer or an awesome copywriter. Yep. But just like graphic design and copywriting and these disciplines are entwined in marketing's gestalt, it's part of what we think of as marketing, technology has now come to that same level too. Technology needs to be integrated into the marketing team. You want technologists in marketing, yep. not everyone in marketing is a technologist. And, and how are you seeing that play out in terms of what are some of the implications of these technologists now coming into these more traditional marketing teams? What, is there friction there? You know, all these things are evolutionary. Yep. Uh, you know, change is hard. Uh, yep. Change is hard for organizations. But I think the benefit of bringing technologists natively into the marketing team is it gives marketing, it's actually not taking away from the IT department. Mm -hmm. It's really more about creating a bridge to allow marketing to collaborate more effectively with IT mm. because people in the marketing team are able to speak the language of IT. They're able to take the... Uh, uh, the insights from uh, the IT team and help translate it into marketing. Yep. And those bridge roles are incredibly effective for helping this 
cultural evolution, this organizational evolution of marketing move forward? So we understand that um, you know marketing now has incredible similarities with, with software development. And we're seeing a lot of these sort of practices of what we would usually traditionally find in software development move into marketing. But what should we do with that knowledge as modern marketers today? What's the implication of that for us? So I think it's just a recognition that the marketing environment has changed. Mm. So a lot of the uh, skills and concepts and ideas that we had for marketing 10 years ago, some of them are absolutely still applicable today, but we need to now augment them with new ways of managing in this digital environment, with new ways of thinking about creativity, not just as the art of communications, but creativity is the art of these orchestrated digital experiences. And so I think what we can do as marketers is we can look to the software world, which in many ways was the original digital profession, yeah, right. and learn from their experience of what works, what doesn't, when you manage a software-powered environment, which is what modern marketing is. And um, Scott, are you seeing any trends moving forwards in terms of organizations now, in terms of how they're moving into marketing automation and technology, for example? This recognition that marketing really needs to take responsibility for its technology stack, that it needs yes. to take responsibility for selecting the tools that are going to enable to deliver the outcome that is expected of it. Yeah. You know, this doesn't mean marketing needs to do it entirely on its own. It yes. absolutely needs to be a collaborative process with the IT department. Yeah. Frankly, it needs to be collaborative even more now with sales and customer service because all of these functions are now intertwining in yes. customer touch points. But at the end of the day, marketing needs to take that leadership position to say, all right, this is the customer experience we're looking to achieve. These are the technologies that are going to help us get there. That's brilliant, thank you. Thank I you. have been talking today with Scott Brinker, who is the um, Editor-in-Chief at Chief Martech, and it's been great to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm here today with Greg Cannon, who is the Vice President of Engagement Marketing at Caesars Entertainment. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. Now, Greg, I would like to start off talking a little bit about your amazing career, and you are still so young. <laughs> you have worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, Sony, Coca-Cola, just to name a few, some huge names in the entertainment industry. How did you get here? <laughs> What's your background? You know, it's funny, I, I really fell into this. As a kid growing up in New York, uh, you're typically told, at least in my generation, um, grow up and go be a lawyer and go be a doctor. <laughs> and uh, I could not, do not have the aptitude to do either. Um, I was always a creative. I was always a little uh, quirky growing up and uh, very artsy and loved superheroes and comic books. Uh, found myself um, doing graphic design by luck. Photoshop was invented in my generation. And I just found myself in advertising and I got exposure to all those wonderful brands really because I, I worked for some great agencies and, and found some great partners and platforms in which introduced me to those brands. Now, you've given an amazing presentation today Thank about you. how technology is changing the way we everything. Sure. <laughs> so can you give us um, some examples of some of the latest trends in terms of how technology is changing the way that we shop or the way that we communicate or are entertained? So for the most part, we're a company that typically is recognized for being an entertainment company. And being that I spent about the last five years with Caesars, that's my most recent and relevant uh, reference point. Um, but being so uh, heavy in entertainment, 
um, I'd say entertainment is probably the first and biggest category to take to a lot of these digital trends that exist today, social media in particular. Um, so what we've done is, is to best embrace it and instead of necessarily um, trying to force the way we market and the way we engage folks through those channels, we, we tried to be a little bit more organic and see how folks interacted with us on those channels and respond to that. So, you know, uh, one of the things I, I showed, maybe a bit old, but I, I thought it was very relevant and, and just fun, um, was uh, how Britney Spears took the Ice Bucket Challenge, the ALS Challenge a few years back, and um, even the Chippendales approach to uh, the Harlem Shake, and then obviously some more recent stuff that we talked about. But just what really has been shown to work on, on the channels that people are most prevalent on these days is where we try to play and try to be interesting um, and just really observing and um, I heard a, an interesting uh, quote not long ago from Ajit who is the uh, GM at Lenovo um, he said when it comes to social media it's actually quantity versus quality meaning go out there and try lots of things and see how people respond and then kind of ride that wave at least that's how I took it and that's really what I, what I see is the best advice that I've been listening to and can give is just try platforms and tools and, and, and networks, see how they work, see how folks interact with it and do your best to, to leverage them in a way that your brand is complemented. And how are you seeing brands uh, respond to these sort of latest uh, trends in technology? Well, I guess it's across the board. I think there are some younger or more nimble brands. Uh, in the case of nimble but not particularly younger are the Nikes, the Starbucks. Um, those guys are very smart and very in touch and they hire smart, capable people and smart and capable uh, agencies. Mm -hmm. And they really take a progressive approach at leveraging tools, introducing them, trying them, and, and really not being risk averse, just being open-minded. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other companies that uh, fit in kind of the other category where they feel an inadequacy or need to keep up. So they try to play in some of the realms that they're not ready for or prepared for. They don't bring in the right people, whether that be internally or the right partners and don't really set themselves up for success. And as, as I spoke about a moment ago, um, I feel like that look of desperation, that trying to join conversations or trying to be relevant, trying to be part of a dialogue that doesn't really pertain to you, gives off that desperation. And uh, that's where companies start to really slip quickly, yeah. start to feel dated and out of touch. And frankly, you know, one of the big millennial stats referenced is 24% um, of millennials buy from brands that they relate to. How is technology um, changing the way that we can engage and retain customers? Well, uh, I think there's a common theme running here with, with your questions and all of the conversations we've been having today, um, which is really about engagement. So uh, I mentioned earlier that our typical customer that might not, might not be uh, enrolled in our loyalty program as of yet, but, but many who are as well, tend to visit us about every year to 15 months. Uh, just like any other product that's a very large purchase, those purchases probably don't occur all too often. So how do you engage with those customers? Even the ones that are in your loyalty program um, that have so many options, how do you engage with them and keep that communication going uh, and, and stay top of mind? Uh, there's lots of tools and, and platforms today that existed hadn't in the past. It used to be, you know, AAA would send out a, a guide, you know, yeah. through physical mail and JNR Music World or Victoria's Secret sent out catalogs, mm -hmm. right? And uh, none of those today do that anymore. You know, Victoria's Secret just recently announced uh, no, no more catalogs, which is pretty substantial um, because they have more relevant and, frankly, efficient tools that exist today. You know, Facebook has been tremendous for us. I know they say millennials are not quite as active on Facebook as much as some of the other channels, but 
you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, um, but I will say that a lot of our customers are very active there and spend time there. It's the best way to connect with people from a distance or um, just keep in touch with folks uh, in a real intimate level yep. and less professional than LinkedIn per se, more, more you know, genuine. Yeah. So uh, leveraging those tools, finding your customers on Facebook. Facebook offers a uh, solution called Facebook Custom Audiences. That helps us to identify our customers on Facebook to then better understand them, to then better, I hate to use the word market, but market to them. Yep. But it is market more considerably. I want to talk to you about the things you want to hear about. I don't want to talk to you about the things I want to tell you about because that yeah. never works. So um, where would you be putting the lion's share of your budget in terms of retaining customers? Honestly, it's in those organic platforms. It's, it's the means in which uh, that I spend my most time in the, the, the channels in which you get to talk with customers versus you know, two customers, you get to talk yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, so in our case, a big, big uh, category is uh, ratings and reviews. Mm -hmm. So in the US, TripAdvisor and Yelp and Google and yeah. plenty of others play very uh, prominently in, in the area of ratings and reviews where folks can really just leave feedback, positive or negative. And um, you know, I s adamantly believe that folks should follow suit as we have um, in investing in teams and people who understand and appreciate those platforms and understand how uh, folks interact with those platforms and can engage with them. And same goes for social media. As, as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, companies should really be thoughtful about all the noise that's out there and where they want to play. There are some platforms we're not very active in. They yeah. just don't make sense for our product, yes. our brand. And when folks try that desperation talked about earlier, it comes through. Um, so where I would invest is in those more organic, more um, uh, growing platforms. Content marketing is another big one for us. That's, that's one of our major focuses. And I believe passionately, I have a fantastic team that, that really think about users and guests and, and just people mm -hmm. and what they want to know about. You know, it's very, very expensive and in some cases inefficient to um, bid on every term that's very saturated. In our case, in Vegas, for example, Las Vegas Resorts, yeah. Las Vegas Entertainment. Tons of people are there. It's expensive. It's inefficient. But when we talk about the example I gave, um, uh, three steps to smoking cigarettes and enjoying your drinks like a boss, right? <laughs> um, that's authentic, right? That, that's genuine. And maybe a bit of long tail, but you do enough of it and you do it well. Mm. You create this authentic voice that people can relate to. It doesn't seem like you're overly trying to sell something because you're not. You're mm. actually trying to help. Yeah. Hopefully they enjoy that in the context of your product because you've earned that credibility with them. Yep. But frankly, investing in content approaches, content marketing, the right partnerships, the right platforms, the right networks is, is pivotal. And those are the things that we spend the most of our time and, and frankly in investments on. Lastly, I wanted to ask you about conversion rates because I know that you have had the most incredible conversion rates and you're amazing at optimizing your conversion you. rates. Um, are, are there any magic tips or tricks that you can uh, share with us in terms of how we would go about really looking at our conversions? I know this sounds scary. I talk to a lot of senior level folks who are either excited about it but work for people who find it scary yeah. or um, folks that are just not ready. Uh, but ultimately, listen to your audience. Mm. You know, I get it. You might be, as a company, as a brand, in a category that um, is not very progressive. So you don't have a ton of um, um, opportunities to model after. But there are definitely adjacent categories to look at and reference and see how they're engaging their customers mm -hmm. and, and what they're doing to find value. You know, the examples I gave a moment ago were um, 
you know, the content that I was talking about and ratings and reviews that I mentioned that, that's very important. We introduced rating systems and, and partnerships on our site and conversion rates, you know, instantly impacted. Folks want to see, even, even if it's negative to be yeah. said, even if one of our properties is not, has not been updated in some time and the room seems a little older, folks just want that transparency. Audiences want to see what they're going to get for that money and uh, we found tons of value there. Yeah. Also platforms and channels, obviously mobile is where people are. Yeah. You know, we have a huge percentage of our audience on mobile channels, on you know, mobile devices, yes. and um, those don't convert quite as well. So we're spending a lot of money to be relevant there so folks can do research, but still eventually convert on you know, the major platforms, desktop today. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's kind of scary because your budget has to s remain important here, but somehow has to be you know, growing here, and you have to support it for a channel that doesn't necessarily convert. You got to have faith in in the people that you have working for you and your partners that they really do have vision into the future, and and think about where you're going to invest. Well, that's been brilliant to have you here. Um, I've been speaking to Greg Cannon, who is the vice president of engagement marketing for Caesars Entertainment. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm here today with Pascal Winkler, who is the head of Connect for The Hallway. Hi, Pascal. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Pascal, can you give us an update as to where you think programmatic is right now? I mean, uh, I think programmatic is on a, on a steep upwards curve. It's obviously one of the, the hot topics at the moment. So I think programmatic is in a very exciting state and uh, is where the whole media industry is heading. Um, at the same time, I, I do um, ask for a bit of caution at, at, at the time as well because I believe there's maybe a bit of an overhype and uh, we're forgetting some of the fundamentals in, in that context as well. So sometimes I feel there's maybe a, a bit too much talk and hype and, and not enough nuts and bolts doing of things. So um, yeah. that, that is certainly something that I, I feel is happening a little bit at the moment as well. So what do you think are the fundamentals of programmatic when you say that? I think, aside from all the technical questions that um, that one has to solve and which platform and etc., um, we need to not forget that the fundamentals of marketing still apply, and that the way that you strategically approach a problem and the way that you execute it is still exactly the same. It's just that you got, in a way, a much better, more sophisticated tool to deliver the campaign yes. and to reach the audience, etc. But you still need to uh, apply the, the marketing fundamentals. And um, I think that sometimes gets forgotten a little bit and we can't quite see the, the wood for the trees anymore because yes. it's all about new and different, etc. And uh, yes. so I think sometimes we just have to take a step back and see what can actually programmatic help us to enhance what we're doing and but still doing it in, in a way to, to the same principles. Yeah, yeah. And where do you think programmatic is heading? Programmatic is really the way that media is going to be bought fundamentally at some point in a not too distant future. So I think um, programmatic is just going to be a way of operating marketing, just like today advertising is digital. There's no channel that really is not digital. Yeah. So in the future, there's no advertising going to be there. There's not programmatic. So yeah. I, th I think it's just everyone has to get their head around how this works yeah. and how this operates because it's going to be the new normal in the not too distant future. Yeah. And how do you recommend that they do get their head around it? If somebody's really grappling with it and finding programmatic difficult, where do they start? Start wherever you can. Start small. 
get your hands dirty, do something, do one campaign. Um, if you can't afford to do a wholesale change to all your marketing, that's fine. Just find a partner, work with your agency, work directly with a, with a, with a DSP or with a, with a programmatic provider and run a campaign and ask lots of questions, ask for transparency, kind of get in there, get stuck yep. in the detail and you'll figure out what really is under the hood and that's yeah. not that hard to understand once you operate it. Yeah. So because I think I think you know we've sort of progressed a bit in the sense that I think that it used to be that people thought that programmatic and this sort of media buying aspect is this specialized skill and they're actually quite afraid of it and I'm certainly starting to see marketers uh, change in their opinion with that are you seeing the same thing yeah I, I think so there's I mean, as always, when there's something relatively new, there's some people who are way ahead of the curve yeah. and some people who are a little bit behind and not quite daring to get into it because they feel they're behind. But look, this is still so new that there's plenty of time for everyone to catch up. Yeah. And um, it's, it's not a question of how early you were in there, but how well you un start understanding it and operating it. And, and I think, again, it's better to do something small and do it well and learn something from it mm -hmm. than trying to do like the, the, the biggest change you can you, yes. you can have to your marketing. Yeah. Um, now, Pascal, I know um, I read a great article that, that you've written in terms of, you know, the fact that a lot of these marketing technology um, programs now are sort of leveling the playing field a little bit in terms of organisations and their capabilities. And I've heard you talk a lot about how we still need to be sort of creative and strategic within that and, and, and how that will, you know, make us stand out from the crowd. Can, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing there and what your views are? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I think we're still in this arms race of technology where you can get an, a competitive edge if you if you got the better technology yes. or if you if you made the right decisions, etc. But yeah. I think sooner or later, as this becomes the new normal, everyone is going to work with the same level of audience targeting, the same level of viewability, the same buying efficiencies, all of these things will kind of pretty much be commoditized. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, which is not now, but which I think is in, is in a few years, mm -hmm. creative is probably going to be the one thing that still makes a difference. Yeah. And at the moment, there's a bit of a tendency that just that our headspace is taken up by all the tech questions. Yeah. And we therefore put the creative a bit to the side. And I think we shouldn't unlearn how to excel at that because we need it now and we'll need it in the future even more when, when that actually is going to be, again, the, the only differentiator you have in the market. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's been lovely to talk to you today. Um, I've been speaking with Pascal Winkler, who is the head of Connects for The Hallway. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much.